the True North Podcast for Canadian Spurs fans and by Canadians. Hi, this is Nedley King and I just want to say hi to all the Spurs fans in Canada. Hello, welcome back or welcome to the True North Podcast, uh, Season 1, Episode 9, and a very special one indeed. Uh, we're not really going to be talking about any predictions or the upcoming game against Palace or anything like this. I have a very, very, very special guest that needs no introduction but is going to get one anyway. So, 854 games of Spurs, a club record. Two UEFA Cups, two FA Cups, two League Cups, Football Writers, Football of the Year, uh, and even in his managerial career was a caretaker manager for Spurs briefly in 1994, very successful manager in the J-League in uh, Japan, and uh, one manager of the year there too, uh, been constantly involved in football, still is uh, on a part-time basis with the MK Dons and was for a long time director of football down at Exeter. So welcome, a true Spurs legend. Steve Perryman. Uh, welcome, Steve, to the True North Podcast. Thank you very much. You're most welcome. I'm really delighted to be here talking to you. And um, yeah, when you're ready, let's go. Yeah, so uh, um, what do you experience in Canada? Have you been here before? I know you're virtually here right now, but have you been here before personally? My first ever trip um, for the first team at Tottenham was... Uh, a tour of uh, America and ending up in Canada, in Toronto, for a tournament. I know that there was Glasgow Rangers in that tournament, Fiorentina, and a national team. It might have well been Canada national team. Cool. And um, so it started off in Baltimore, Atlanta, and I'd never really met the first team up to this point. My name was on the list, left up in the dressing room. <laughs> Eddie Bailey, by way of n- never saying to you, well done, or, you know, it wasn't an era for that. It was get on with it. <laughs> um, said, I think you better check that list in the dressing room. This was said at the end, towards the end of the season. I actually don't think I had played in the reserve team then. So he said, I, bet, I think you better check that list because someone's told me, Steve, that you're on the bottom of that list as a possible to go to America and Canada. Now, I don't actually believe it, Steve, but you better check it just in case. So, well, anyway, I did check it and therefore I had to get all my stuff ready to leave. But it was done with regard to... Alan Gilzean was away travelling with Scotland. When he finished his games for them, he was joining us after the first game in Baltimore, which I bought in more, which I think was against West Ham United. We were going on to play Atlanta against Aston Villa and then on to Toronto. But I was due to go home when Alan Gilzean came out. Uh-huh. So... By way of experience, I was sort of going to play in the first game. And um, luck plays such a big part in people's careers. Um, David Jenkins, who had previously been swapped with the Arsenal for uh, Jimmy Robertson, um, he, within that first part of the trip, got sunburn on the top of his feet. (laughs) So just imagine you have to go and tell the super professionally organised Bill Nicholson that you can't play or can't train or both. So you know what Bill Nick did? He sent David home instead of me. So I stayed then for the whole trip. Fantastic. Played every game, so you can imagine the experience for this young 17-year-old. So by the end of the trip, what happened was that the first team players were used to me. They knew my name. They knew what I could do or not. And therefore, the sort of ease into the next season, which was my sort of breakthrough season, was somewhat easier because of that group of games I had albeit friendly games, is there such a thing? Um, But competitive in the end because of a competition. 
so um it was great and bill nicholson was full of praise and i'll always say it there was not a lot of praise around and um so i lakeshore boulevard we stayed in um, toronto maybe some of you might know that um a sort of a, ho a motel type hotel and the food was magnificent <laughs> i mean magnificent i i hadn't done a lot of traveling up to that point in my life i was to do some after but this was a whole new experience and just to be around those players and everyone was there jimmy graves was there pat jennings was there nosey mike england gilly wasn't there for the first game as i said but he was the only one missing no got it wrong alan mullery was missing alan mullery was on an england tour and alan mullery was okay wasn't in the 66 squad for england yeah but he was in the 70 squad yeah so this was 69 and um so it was going to be a big year for him so he went on this trip and quite a funny story off the back of that because bill nicholson being the man that he was when we all got home we're all back on terra firma he phoned alan and this is alan's story not mine he phoned alan and said alan um how did you get on in the three games i, I I've noticed by the paper that you played all three games. He said, Bill, I played really well. And, and Alf Ramsey was, was uh, really pleased with me. And, um, you know, there's something that might be said is that I was the best player on the trip. And, you know, Bill's reaction to that? He okay. said, well, that's good, Alan, because I found your replacement. <laughs> Who? He said, Steve Perryman. Who? <laughs> you can imagine. So Alan said, he's not taking my place. No with doubt. A bit more, you know, a bit more aggression to it. So um, that, that again was typical Bill Nicholson. I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about him. But um, if you thought you were up, he was going to just try and bring you down a bit. And it's now interesting. It was obviously up on the on the way he played, um, but what I suppose what I'd done was I'd stake to claim for everyone knowing what I could do. Definitely. And you know, as much as you've got to impress the staff at all times by your manner, by your character, um, as an apprentice, by the way you did your jobs, um, by the coaching staff, by you know, their eyes were everywhere. And there was reports back on you in every situation. And, and as much as it's important to, to impress those decision makers, because you don't move up teams, juniors, youth team, A team, reserve team, into the first team. You know, you, you might have an average season. Well, guess what? Your progress stops there. It might only stop for a year, but it yeah. stops because there's a lot of people reporting back to Bill Nicholson and he's using his own eyes. On the odd occasion when he's watching the youth team play at Cheson on a Saturday morning or, or an FA Youth Cup game at night on the, on the White Hart Lane Stadium. Or, for instance, uh, Ron Henry was... Um, who played in the double team was in my A team the year that I came through that team. Wow. So of course Bill Nick would be asking him about who's looking a player, who's not looking it, who who can compete, who can I trust? That's basically what you're asking as a manager. Who can I trust? Definitely. So um so as much as you've got to impress the staff, you also have to impress the players. Sure. Because when you are training with them, you make the step up to train with them. Or in this case, on that tour to play with them. That's the judgment. 
it's a team game after all, you know. And, yeah, uh, after all. So, so within conversation, Bill Nicholson would have been saying to players, "How are you finding playing with Steve?" And of course, others, not just me. So, um, it's a uh, you've, you've you've got to keep passing tests. Definitely. And actually, when you go on a first team tour, it's a bit bigger than a test than it's exam. Oh yeah. And this is your chance. Exactly. And for the younger listeners who all, all think that, you know, it's only the Premier League who are doing these international tours and, you know, all the glitz and the glamour and the intercontinental cups and trophies. And that game you mentioned being in Toronto, I think it was the last time Spurs played in Canada until 2014 when they did a similar tour. Uh, they did um, Seattle, which I went to. It's only a couple of hours drive from Vancouver. Then uh, made excuses business excuses. My wife did the same, a flight to Toronto. And that was the first time uh, and the only time since um, Spurs have played in Canada since the, your game. So there was that huge gap. And then uh, I think I've done LA and the MLS All-Star game recently. So we're clamoring. Any, any shout you can put in to have uh, uh, Spurs come back to Canada, we'd love you to put a, a word in for us. Um, Trust me, I'm not that important. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not I've not got that much influence. Let me just finish off that trip for you. Yeah, definitely. So uh, it was maybe not the Canadian national team. I think it was the Toronto team. Is it the Metros? Well, they're now just called Toronto FC. Probably back then, yes. I think you're right. Okay. And Eusebio had either signed for them or he was guesting for them. Oh. So he played in that game. Wow. It was on AstroTurf. On AstroTurf. So yep. that was something new. The previous games in Atlanta and Baltimore were in baseball stadiums. So the, the run, running square or whatever you call it in diamond in, in, yeah. in baseball, um, you was having to sort of be on grass one minute and then this the next and then on. <laughs> so, I mean, but all new stuff. And the other thing they did in those games, which obviously then got put a stop to, was that there was a clock. And if the ball went out of play, they stopped the clock. So the game was not 90 minutes old. Oh, wow. Yeah. You can imagine. So this young player who's struggling to live with this tempo of this higher level. <laughs> thinking, what? what is going on? So, um, but I love Toronto. We did visit Niagara Falls from there, mm -hmm. which I assume is not that far. Um, and I have relatives that I've never met before who came and picked me up and from the hotel. It was all okayed by the management. And he said, Steve, I've just got a call in to see two customers. <laughs> so, if you go and see a customer in England before you take this guest home, you know, top whack would be an hour. Yeah. <laughs> this was three hours. <laughs> and it says something about the size of your country. Yeah, definitely. That was, that was not a long journey in this uh, cousin's eyes, you know. So, um, so... Yeah, I, I know. I, I very much agree with you. I mean, that's the, the perception of distance in Canada is crazy. If you look at, hey, we're just going here. And, um, oh, how far is that? Oh, it's a three-hour drive. It's a four-hour drive. It's not really. And, it, again, it, it, people just go, yeah, that's fine. Uh, yeah, because yes. the country's so big, the perception of distance is, is, uh, is a lot less. Absolutely. So that was, you can imagine, for me. So, number one, playing with the first team. Living off the field with the first team. And let me give you a little funny, and it's probably not funny to you because you hear it all the time. We've played, we've done. Bill Nicholson was not so strict on an end-of-season tour. He realised you cannot, players cannot be under the thumb for 48 weeks a year it's not possible yeah so there were times where we were allowed not that i drank at the time 
we 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 were the first team player squad was was allowed to go for a drink and stuff. Anyway, um, Alan Gilzine, great great man, great player, great person. Uh, anyway, as we drove out the hotel and we're getting onto the motorway or the freeway or whatever you call it, big sign, advertising sign, drink Canada dry. And Gilly stood up and said, we have had a bloody good try. (laughs) I won't be able to look at that sign now or say similar but Canada dry and, and not uh, yeah. think of that. thinking of my quote. Yeah. <laughs> quote. Exactly, exactly. So I'd love, we, I know that um, taking off my True North podcast hat and putting on my Vancouver Spurs hat selfishly for a couple of minutes, I know we talked offline. I just want some updates for you on your book tour and your visit to Vancouver. And um, what are the new plans considering COVID-19 as screwed everything up for all of it because you should have already been sure through vancouver in april rescheduled so to I, november and then what so what's happening i was going on a uh, sort of a world tour with my wife to promote the book the book's done very well so if any of you have bought it i thank you for that of uh, supporting it um we were going to go for six weeks from the middle of march 2020 for six weeks, ending up with you in, in April time. It was going to involve South Africa, Australia, Canada, Japan, America, United States. So a, a, a lengthy tour, which I was really looking forward to. As it got closer, the COVID thing was taking effect. I sort of knew in the end it wasn't going to happen and you know because obvious reasons so the first thought was okay we'll do it round about October well guess what if we're everyone's talking about a second wave coming uh-huh. where I live in Devon touch wood we are relatively clear of it but um that's because the space, etc. And um, but anyway, I'm being told in secret by the Marines and other organisations that they're expecting a second wave. Whether that's just being careful, I don't know. But so I believe the more realistic timetable would be to create it one year on from when it was supposed to have been so mid-march 2021 for six weeks so if i was coming to you on april the 10th for instance i would say it would be one year later than that yeah and if i do uh, i'm looking forward to meet you all and um i much although i don't mind doing this by any means i've got a lot to talk about with regard to 19-year career at Tottenham and 17 years of them in the first team and that sort of stuff. So I'm an expert, it's too big a word, but I'm I'm very well versed in talking about the different eras because I played end of the 60s, I played all of the 70s, half of the 80s, I came back with Aussie uh, for a short spell under the Sugar Man uh, in the 90s. And yes, I, I watch from afar now, so I've got an opinion on what's happening, but not an inside track knowledge. So um, it's never easy to say who could have played from our era in this era. era. Actually back the other way as well. Yeah. Who, who today could have played then? different game it's almost a different sport now so um lots of interesting stuff to talk about i try and mix it up and sort of tell the the inside story of various players that you know your your supporter chaps would have liked a lot of people have a great feeling for Cyril Knowles 
and yet you don't really know about him because it's that long ago. Yeah. And his character, for instance, and unfortunately left us quite early at a tragedy, losing his son, uh, which was just amazing uh, sadness. Um, but 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 you know, not not to harp on that, but. Um, We've all got a story to tell. And in a way, I cover enough bases with as many players as you could possibly think about. Bearing in mind, I played nearly, probably nearly a thousand games in all for Spurs. And, and, I, can, level. and I can lay testament to that. I've, I've, um, I went to a, uh, an event with Steve and hosted by Mickey Hazard a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago now, time flies in Hemel Hempstead. And yeah, I think... Uh, I think we could have gone all night if, if we if you I think you had to leave and I think uh, at the time I think Mickey's sister was ill as well so yes. there was lots of things yeah. happening but um for the Vancouver event even if it's, the date's getting moved uh, the link to the event is still on the vancouverspurs.ca website uh, the ticket price includes the book a copy of the book um, you'll also obviously get to meet with Steve uh, get the book signed. Um, any other swag and paraphernalia you want signed as well. Photo opportunities. There'll be some uh, door prizes. Uh, Spurs have chipped in a few bits and pieces. Some charity auctions. It's going to be a great night. And so sometime we hope uh, once it gets nailed down uh, in April of 2021. It seems so far off right now, but I'm sure it'll be here in a heartbeat. That's it. It will <laughs> so, be. So, um, in regards to, you know, you, the process of you writing the book, I mean, just listen to your talk, it seems that you almost have a photographic memory uh, for dates, people, who was in the room, what was going on. What was your process like in, in getting this down almost to, to something that, was, that, you could, that wasn't an Encyclopedia Britannica uh, and was down to something that uh, uh, you, could, um, you could pull together in, in that format? I'm sure there would probably be three or four books after this, but so what was your process for this one? Yeah, I, I um, the choice of co-writer was very important to me. I chose a guy called Adam Powley. He's um, been part of writing other books about Tottenham history books and sort of the boys of the 80s book, etc. Uh, the Lane book he was involved with, which was a tremendous book. I have that um, on my shelf, yeah. Absolutely. So... Um, and some autobiographies as well he helped along with uh, in a collaborative sort of way. So um, if I set within talking, him visiting my house probably 20 times and he'd stay overnight and we'd talk again the next day. So that's 40 sessions of probably three or four hours at a time. Mm -hmm. And if, for instance, I was telling a story about Chivers scored to put us 3-1 up, he could well say to me, Steve, that was 2-1 up. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to check it. I'm going to check it. <laughs> so we've all got the similar books. And, and um, so when you do something like this, you want it to be right. It needs to be right. Because... Okay, certain people have written to me and said, Steve, for instance, you remember the final game when we... I said that we needed to beat Leeds United to stay up in the 70s. Yeah. This chap, again, at one of these talks I give in Dartford, uh, no, in Dagenham, uh, he spoke to me after. He said, Steve, you, you got that wrong, you know. Okay, what do you mean? He said... We just had to draw that game. If we got a point, if we didn't get beat, we were avoided relegation. Yeah. I said, you know what? Well done you for, for picking me up on that because of course I'm going to check it. And I suppose what happened was, the mindset was, if we're drawing and the, the opponent scoring you in the last minute, as disappointing yep. as that is, imagine how disappointing it is when you settle for a draw, 10 minutes to go, and therefore you don't bother attacking anymore or whatever, and shot last second, it's a deflection, leg goes in the other corner, you've lost. 
Yeah. Not only have you lost, you've now relegated. So the mindset was probably we've got to win. Yeah. I'm sure that's what you were told. Yeah. Yeah, we've yeah. got to win. So it's sort of that's the memory does play tricks for you, doesn't it? Yeah. That's why we need the facts and figures to check out. And I suppose my memory has been stimulated by talking situations with players. I'm very good at in a coaching situation. Okay, this is maybe not out on the coaching field, but in the hotel on the evening before the game, talking to, say, a Japanese player or a Norwegian player where I've both worked, um, about a situation that happened when I was a player. And then the result of that was a player's thought process or his preparation or his change of preparation. So make the point. And so I, I think I kept re-educating myself with this with this stuff but it then i'll help if it's actually the truth <laughs> and not just something you pull out the air so i'm you know i have to say that i'm a i'm a football nut i could talk football all day and night and within that if i've got people that want to listen uh, as per your night in Hemel Hempstead or wherever, or a team that I'm leading or coaching or, or just, just you have a night out with friends and they ask you questions about your career and stuff. So, so I think what, what's happened is that I've, but what I also do is I revert back to my eldest brother, Ted, who was a, like a mentor to me, uh, particularly in the early years, school years. You have other mentors, and I think that's important when you meet the right mentor at the right age. Of course, it's about your manager. It's about your coach. It's about the people that are paid to help you become a better player. But there's also an element from the outside. And my brother Ted was one of those. He's only four years older than me. And if I wanted to know anything about, for instance my progress as a player in that last under 15 year where I went from nowhere because my school didn't even play competitive football oh. to all of a sudden being put in for the, the, the district team and getting in that team and then eventually working through that season into Middlesex. So from Ealing district, Middlesex, London, England schoolboys. Uh, if I want to speak and, and get the facts of what people visited our house, what were they offering? How did they take the disappointment when I decided to go to Spurs instead of West Ham or QPR, for instance? Um, Ted was the man. Yeah. Ted was my rock as per the memories of it. So the football part in, part in the story as per the joining Tottenham as a young player and leaving as a... Uh, not an old man, but an old football man, um, then that's all with me. Yeah, for sure. That's not a problem. Um, that's with me. So, so it was great to have Adam. It was great to have this other support. I had to speak. I, I, I passed my wife on to Adam with regard to, I had this aorta dissection. Yeah. I was, I was, seven hour operation and i think i was out of it for about seven weeks um three weeks in a coma for instance so i said you're gonna have to talk to her because all i knew was i felt something and some while in the future i woke up and obviously something had happened but i can't tell you what so she knows the surgeon's name she knows how long the operation was. She knew the period where I was talking absolute nonsense, <laughs> all drug induced. And, um, and the, 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 the hospital staff said, Mrs. Perryman, your husband may stay like this. Wow. wow. That, that's a bit of a realization. And they didn't think that I was going to wake up from the, from the coma. And if I didn't wake up very soon, it's all over. 
So I'm actually quite pleased I didn't know any of that. <laughs> quite pleased. So yeah. Well, that's uh, that's. I mean, it's it's one of those things as you say. You 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 bless your health and continue to do so. And uh, yeah, you know, we, we we got lots of thanks to for the medical staff all around the world right now during COVID, Absolutely. even more so than uh, than previously. So we've uh, and I think it, it's uh, there isn't anybody who who anybody sees one thanks one. Uh, it's. Uh, yeah, they're doing a great job. And uh, so from the book, and I, I think in the notes I sent you before, you know, uh, this is, I don't care if you swear or not, it, it, the majority of our podcasts aren't E-rated, but we don't really care. But um, if, if you could share a story with us that maybe didn't make the book for some reason, I know you've probably got lots and lots, but if there's one that, that, that comes to mind, maybe with some relevance to, I know we talked a lot about Canada and Toronto already, but uh a book you could, a story you could share, maybe that uh, that the, the listeners would love to hear. Hmm. So, um, okay, good, good. I like that. Um, so, I think I've got through life by sort of having a smile on my face. So things happen to you over that course of time, in various places, and. I've also had an ability to remember those things because they're funny. So I go to Dublin. I'm uh, director of football at Exeter City, where I live down here in Devon. Yeah. And I think I'm going to meet a, it wasn't our scout. We couldn't afford scouts, but a scout that had an opinion on a player. And Flew in from Exeter, easy. Um, got the taxi to the hotel, checked in. Going to meet this chap during the evening and then next day. If, if I need to do more, I'll stay one or two more days. Of course, it can be done over the phone, but you sometimes need to see the person's eyes and the face. To get the real feeling anyway so um we certainly didn't have enough money that we could waste exit city be it on my flight be it on my hotel etc so i'm in the bar waiting for this chap to come and it's early evening and dublin's a great place great great place there's something in the air there definitely something good is about to happen and it's not fear, it's not, it's not a cry, nothing like that. It's, it's a joyful feeling. Anyway, so, so I'm in the, in the hotel bar, not many people about, early evening. And the closest chap to me is about three stalls away. And as they do in Dublin, they all drink Guinness. And I certainly don't. But if it's good enough for them... Well done. So he's looking longingly at this pint of Guinness. And I think there's a there's an aspect to it needing to settle. So they, they look at it as it's settled yet. And anyway, so I'm 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 taking this a bit further than it is, but he definitely is looking lovingly at this pint of Guinness that is eventually gonna attack. So when he's not looking at the Guinness, he's just taking half a look at me and then away so he does this a couple of times and eventually he says turns to me and he says you used to be steve perryman (laughs) yes yes that's right you used to be good thank you sir that's very kind comment thank you (laughs) <laughs> back to what I'm doing, waiting for the guy, and back to what he's doing, maybe now drinking the Guinness. So after about five minutes, by way of making conversation, I turned to him and said, excuse me, sir, so who am I now? <laughs> and this is the answer that you could only get in Ireland, particularly Dublin. He said, Fuck if I know. 
Now, you cannot be part of that story and not tell that to people. Yeah, I As know. Portraying Dublin, portraying the Irish, and it's not to take the mickey out of them by any means, but they just say the most obvious things in a way that just catches you. That's fantastic. So, he was talking to me almost like I'd been a character in Coronation Street you know, for 25 years. And then I came out of that. And so go back to being the real person. Yeah. So it was as if yeah. I have a different name to Steve Perham, the footballer, go back to being Mr. X, which of course doesn't happen. You are the person that you were before football and after football. So um, things like that happen. And... Um, but particularly in Ireland, so um, I, um, I, I told a story about my daughter. Uh, so she was six. She was a week old when we went to Norway. She was six months old when we went to Japan. Wow! And we returned when she was five and a half. I went back actually on my own without the family for about 18 months for a second job. Mm -hmm. So we're back all together when she's seven and the youngest one is five. And we, we eventually moved down to Devon and we put them in a girls' school, very good girls' school here in the middle of Exeter. And she, she's very good at English. And she came home one day, I think she's about 14. She said, Dad, we had to do an exercise today. We were all asked to stand up at different times and talk about a subject they gave us that we obviously knew something about, but we've had no time to prepare it. So came to my turn. Teacher said, OK, thank you very much to the previous one. Ella Perriman, stand up. Ella? we want you to stand up and talk for two minutes how it is to have a famous father go she said well famous oh i'm not sure about that <laughs> now she's telling me this she's telling me this i'm not sure about that um okay okay if he's famous, it's only to Japanese people, where I won the league and manager of the year, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that would have been within her knowledge. Yeah. She's uh, he's only famous to uh, to Japanese people or old people. <laughs> ah, is is that right? Okay, and. And because my two daughters were brought up in the age of celebrity, yeah. they were always asking me, because they read the books where I'm in and people saying nice things about me and watching a bit of video clip of me scoring two goals against AC Milan, they're constantly asking me, because they didn't see any of my career, who were you like? Dad, describe someone today, who were you like? It's a bit difficult, that, Ella. Um, okay, I, I'll give it a bit of thought. Anyway, so they, they asked me again, and I haven't got the answer yet. And one day I say to them, okay, sit down. I found the person. Um, but in between these two times, they're saying, Dad, will you like Beckham? No, 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 no. Pff, nowhere near that. No. He's fame. No, no, nowhere near it. Okay, um, Gerard. No, definitely not. No. Lampard. No. No. Well, who, who were you like? So eventually I've got to give them an answer. So this one day I said, girls, listen, I've thought of the, um, and by the way, they're getting less and less impressed as they're going down the name. <laughs> this, we keep hearing how good our dad was, but it couldn't have been that good. Anyway, so I said, I've found it. I'm a better-looking Gary Neville. <laughs> and now they are totally unimpressed. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that myself either. <laughs> I should have added, 
until he went out to Spain and made a complete hash of it. Oh yeah, I yeah. did not make in Japan, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, I, I, yeah. If you haven't um, followed uh, Steve's career beyond Spurs, you should uh, go check him out. Uh, uh, huge success out in Japan. And uh, again, I think you know that's obviously part of why the book tour includes uh, Tokyo. Is uh, there's lots of people who want to listen to Steve when uh, when he gets out there. But uh, I'm going to throw on with a, a, another question, and um, this one was a c- consensus question from some people who submitted questions uh, via my Twitter sure. feed, which was like, sure. if you could pick one favourite moment in a Spurs shirt, what would it be and why? Mm. Yeah. So, I did a podcast about my five proudest moments. Mm-hmm. Fine. So, it would have to be leading the 1981 team uh-huh. into the FA Cup replay on a Thursday night. Uh, I was part of the team that won trophies as a young player in the 70s. Team went into malaise, if you like. Club were not competing for the top players anymore. The club had lost its shine. Um, Players, when they became available, weren't looking straight for Bill Nicholson and Tottenham. No, there was other clubs catching up. Led to relegation. I led the relegation as captain. I played 42 out of 42 games of that season, so it must have had something to do with me. Uh, And then we come out of it, successfully got back to to the... Promotion just out of the old second division. Signed the Argentinians, not me, the club, Keith Birkinshaw. Keith Birkinshaw said to me at one point, Steve, I am going to build a team here. Trust me, I am going to build a team. And that's exactly what he did. And therefore it culminated, okay, it wasn't the finish, but it then led to us having a sort of, not a great season, but a half-decent one in the in 81. And getting to Wembley and playing very poorly in the first game against Man City, being very lucky to get a draw. We were hot favourites to win the game, and as normally happens at Wembley, favourite does not follow through and come through and win. Mm-hmm. So a bit lucky to get the replay, and then eventually when we won it, off the back of... Ricky Villiers, magnificent goal in front of, there was 100,000 in there, there was probably 80,000 Spurs supporters because it's yeah. a Thursday night. The tickets are spread far and wide for the normal Saturday Cup final to all the associations and everyone who deserves to be at a Cup final is rewarded for their good work and stuff. The, the replay is about the real fans. And we won it that night in such style. And I'm personally having the best day of my life. <laughs> and, well, our, this team that I love, been through the mill, came out the other side, and now we're on a stage. And, okay, sometimes the FA Cup gets a little bit downtrodden these days. Mm-hmm. But in 1981, it was, it was almost as big as winning the league. It can't ever be because yeah. winning the league says something about your consistency over the course of 42 games. You might just get lucky for six, seven, eight games in the FA Cup. But um, we won it and you're so elated. You're relieved. You are... <sighs> All your family's there, full of Tottenham people. And then someone taps you on the shoulder and says, Steve, yeah, got to go and get the cup. Wow. Wow. And you've seen all these other people go and get the cup. All those, you always watch the cup final. Whether you supported the team or not, you watched it. You watched it from 12 o'clock to right through to after the game. 
it was cup final day. This was your chance to watch football. And now you are going up those steps, going to pick that cup up by, well, the pride involved in that. And, and you never, I never forget that moment. It was um, huge and was sort of, it was sort of, I'd never think, uh, I never think me, never. I'm a team man, I'm a team person, I'm team orientated. But at that moment, walking up those stairs, I thought, you never thought this was gonna happen, Steve, did you? Yeah, I mean. And guess what, like buses, one comes along next, next time, next year. And um, so you do it twice in two years. And it's definitely a little bit devalued the second time. It shouldn't be. Yeah. It shouldn't be because we're living off the back of the, the success of the first year. So people sort of almost expect us to win. And, you know, come on, this is our, this is our home stadium. We've been here seven times in 18 months at Wembley. Yeah. People were talking about, we've got a season ticket at Wembley here. Well, you know, and um, so there wasn't quite the pressure on the win the second time mm-hmm. as there was the first. We still yeah. won, but um, not as convincingly and certainly not with as good a goal as Ricky did. Yeah, so I agree. Just, of, I agree. It's like the start of a new era. And, and also, to, you know, that underlined with, you know, and, and bolded and, you know, and highlighted by that goal. You know, uh, I remember, I, I, same thing, I went to watch, I watched it at home, but I, I went, and it was a crazy thing, I agree with you, with the fans. Uh, I was, uh, probably, how was I, 14 at the time? So I actually went to Wembley and we lined up for tickets and there was, a, there was different allocations being sold at different places. Yeah. As you said, it was true. For, and I couldn't get a ticket. It was crazy. That was... For the replay. For the replay, yeah. Wow. I could not get a ticket because, you know, the, the queues, as, as we call them in the UK, but lineups, as you call them in North yeah. America, were yeah. absolutely mental. And then it got to the stage where the police were just saying, they're gone, they're sold out from here. And wow. it was it was insane, and uh, but yeah, then to watch it it all unfold the way it did, particularly Ricky being subbed off in the first game, and then him coming back, and what you know, story. You, you couldn't write it any better. It's it's fantastic. So what a story! Yeah, it was that you, uh, you you've led me onto something there. It was the start of a good era. Yeah, it was actually the end of a bad era. Yeah, it was that line. It was that line. And I was, I was lucky enough, my first game watching live, I was supporting this, funny, the first year I supported Spurs was that relegation year. My good friend from um, school, Leonard Ward, wherever he is nowadays, I said, you know, all my family are Arsenal fans. And I said, I'm not a big red and white fan. And he said, well, support Tottenham, they're blue and white. I went, all right. And then they get relegated the first year, but I stay, stuck with it. And then come back the following year, and then my well, that first... was a test of your support. Well, exactly. And then the first game I went to was FA Cup third round in 1980, beating Birmingham three one, standing in a Paxton Road lower with my mum, who's tiny, like under four foot ten, um, watching the game, wow. nearly getting trampled over when we got a penalty, and a guy <laughs> a guy picked me up, hands under my armpits, and lifted me up, and you know it was you know good old days. And then from there, even the old West Stand was there before the new one. Yes. So, so it's it's you know you've got, I've gone from old West Stand to new West Stand, you know, uh, and seeing that knocked down, seeing the new stadium built. I've not been in it yet, so I'm looking forward to that. We'll come to that in a second. But yeah, that's so my first game was 1980. I used to work at the ground. I used to work. I used to sell Spurs news as a kid. The gold and gold yeah. tickets around the pitch side. So I didn't pay for a game for about five years. From okay. from, and I went to almost every one, including the UEFA Cup final, home and away. Where from did about, you live? I, li- I lived in Shoreditch in, in okay. Hackney, right? So it was a, a bus ride to me. So the commission used to pay for, that I used to get for selling stuff, used to pay for my bus fare, a burger, my programme, and I got yeah. it for nothing. It was fantastic. And, and I think that time from 81-ish to 85, I didn't pay for a game. So I got to see you, you know, obviously winning the Football Writers of the Year award that year, you know, in where of watching that whole kind of like second period. And so I grew up in an era where, as you said, season ticket to Wembley, you know, uh, two yeah. FA Cups, the UEFA Cup, close win in the league. It was one, one league. I think it was eight, was it the 83, 84? 
where we were on for the quadruple and ended up winning nothing. It was just one of those, yeah. everything, yeah. it was too many games. It was crazy. Yeah, we've run, we've run out of legs. Yeah, so I was really, really lucky. And, but going back mm. to the question, which is my next question was, you know, you've seen the stadium, obviously, from, uh, and I was lucky enough in, in 80, I think the new, the new West Stand was kind of, what was built in the early 80s, 82, 83. I remember watching the buses go by, you know, yeah. as they were building it. Um, so what are your thoughts on the new place, on the new home? What are your thoughts on a new stadium? Yeah, so um, it's progress. I'm delighted that it's on the similar site to where it was. Mm-hmm. Tottenham Hotspur should be in Tottenham. I don't 100%. care what you think of that area. And when you're when you're used to making that journey, that's the journey you should make. Yeah. So when they were talking about going to the Olympic Stadium and all this stuff, that was probably kidology. Um, but I think the community and the club can work off each other. If Tottenham Hotspur can help lift that community higher than where it would normally be. I think that's a good trade-off. Definitely. You know, the, the, the tube, the, the train line has got to be better because of the 60,000 people turning up and the access of roads to get out afterwards has got to be improved, of course. So I think, the, you know, the club and the, and the area are good for each other. So it's important what I think of the old stadium. The old stadium was another time, another era. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it, it mirrored Bill Nicholson. His character, his strength, his consistency. I, I talk about it being a working class palace. Oh, I like that. It's where you... I, I grew up, walked in as a under 15, walked out as an under 36, um, where you were taught manners, football ethics. Um, it, it, it certainly wasn't a slum by any means, but it was not plush. Yeah. Nothing about it was plush. You couldn't get above yourself by shininess or it was clean. It was impeccably clean. Yeah. And you would have seen a lot different aspects and views of the ground than I did. Yeah. But, you know, within doing the jobs and the sweeping and taking the rubbish over the incinerator over the east stand and you're thinking about, you know, is, is this haunted? Is it, you know, now getting five o'clock in the evening it's starting to get really dark oh am i am i okay over here on my own and you know the crow's nest where the where the where the press used to yeah sit with the with the cockerel above them and yeah. you had to clean that out once every whatever and and the gymnasium and you you virtually knew every part of it and but you couldn't, you were proud of it being workmanlike rather than being a showpiece. The showpiece was the pitch. Yeah. And I think that's the right way. Yeah, I agree. And it, it, if I had that, I had a conversation probably about three, four years ago now. Um, I was working with, uh, doing some stuff with uh, Crackers, Richard Cracknell, I'm sure you, yeah. you know, who's now, who's now, uh, in retirement in Lanzarote or somewhere in the Canary Islands. Well done, Craig. So big shout out to him. And um, we went in and we were in a chat in the the executive lounge at White Hart Lane and um, was chatting chatting to Mark Falco and we were having a a quick little chat. And one of the things he said, I said to him, which he he was surprised, but he thought, you know what? I, I actually quite like this, that idea. He says, I'd like to swap shirts with you for a day. And I said, and it was as much as it's a dream to pull on a Spurs shirt and walk out on the pitch. I says, you're missing standing on the front row with a shelf. Yeah. Right. And, and watching, you know, bang one in against Arsenal. 
right? And the reaction and the lining up outside and the anticipation and just the joy of, of being a fan. And obviously now afterwards, he's still a fan and he's involved in the game sure. and he's almost every game as an ambassador. But, you know, during the playing thing, it's that, you know, I'm glad there's, a, you know, from your side, that appreciation is like, it is a palace. It is a, you know, that's the place where uh, you go and kind of, you want to say, show your love for the area you're in. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So that leads me on to the, to the new stadium. I think I've been three times, maybe four. Um, I'm delighted every time I go there. I'm impressed even more every time I go there. It is plush. <laughs> it is shiny. Um, it is luxurious. And I think that sort of typifies the ways the, the, the game is going. Um, and I think there's a lot good with today's game. There's a lot that's not so good. Um, diving and play acting and all that sort of stuff that's now come into the game management. Don't, don't, don't game management me, please. <laughs> so, um, so it's, it's brilliant. It's lovely. It's obviously to make money. Um, it's more and more and more and more a business. Of course, it's football business, but it's a business. And I sometimes think, and this is not a criticism, I sometimes think, I think someone mentioned this to me one day, there should be a sign-up that says, we're going to take as much money off of you as we can. <laughs> today. But they're only going to take it off you if you're getting service. Yeah i.e. the beer that you want to drink or the food you want to eat or the and hopefully the product you want to see on the pitch yeah that's the biggest seller of all and the team is going to go up and down like forever it's going to go in cycles and you know when you're at the top of the cycle or the bottom of it you might as well be comfortable yeah well. yeah and uh, you're paying for it you're paying to be comfortable and there's no reason why that new stadium you're not comfortable and you've got the perfect view some better than others according to the price you're paying but um it's i think it's something for us to be proud of definitely. i think i wouldn't like to be the the next club that decides to build a new stadium because if you think that there needs to be progress every time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and all, sure. all, around, all around the world, even the, the NFL guys, the American football teams who played, said best stadium they've played in the world, uh, best facilities, uh, everything. It's absolutely spectacular. It, I've not heard a bad word said about it on, you know, from a player's perspective. And then I'm just looking forward, hopefully, uh, again, COVID screwed everything up. I was hoping to... Um, come over at the end of the year, maybe still will. We don't know. I see how the if we get a second wave or not, and then hopefully again yeah. if there's going to be fans in the stadium. So, but sure. uh, I've seen it many times. Uh, in fact, last when the season was at the start, we came over and then there was the construction delays and the building yes. delays, and I yes. couldn't get in. So I was sure. meant to have been there already, but uh, I'm so looking forward to it. I'm so looking forward. Well, to it. you're I'm, you're I'm jealous. You're being saved up a a, um, a fantastic experience, and I was I was very honoured to be invited back for the fiftieth anniversary of my debut, and I think it was a Southampton game. My debut was Sunderland. Of course, that's not going to happen fifty years later. We're playing Sunderland. By the way, they're in a different division. Yeah. But um, it was Southampton, and um, I got invited on the pitch at half time, and. They were asking me about certain stuff, and I, I, you may have heard this. I said, a 21-year-old Steve Perriman went into Bill Nicholson's office. No agent, no brother, no father, no, no advisor, no. So he said, what do you, what do you want? I said, uh, my contract's up, Bill. He said, yeah, what do you want? I said, do contract 
Steve, what do you want? I said, well, I've been in your team. You've picked me for three and a half years now. And I room with Gilly, Alan Gilzine. And I know I shouldn't know this, but I do. But he's earning 95 quid a week. And I know he's a great player and I know he's an international, but I'm earning 28 quid a week. And I think I should be a bit closer to them, to the big players. And then he said two things to me. He said, have you ever seen yourself play? <laughs> this, this is before video. And the second one was even more of a killer. He said, how many people do you think pay to watch Steve Perryman play? So, Bill, I'm saying this on the pitch, right? Yeah. Bill, if you're listening, the 21-year-old Steve Perriman didn't have an answer for that. But the 67-year-old has. <laughs> Bill, you know and I know, because I understand the value of Glenn Hoddle and Ozzy Ardiles and Pat Jennings and Alan Gilzean and Jimmy Gray. I... I know the value of the great players. But you know and I know, Bill, that you cannot have a team of 11 of those. Yeah. You need some of me, Bill. So although, according to your question, I'm sort of agreeing with you that not, I don't believe many people pay to watch me play. But I tell you what, Bill, I think there's a few opponents up and down the country that would have paid for me not to play. <laughs> and I think that's a judgment as well. You know what? And I, and I think for and anybody, off. anybody young listening to this, uh, it, it, it's understanding your value and listen to those words of wisdom and really think about whether it's football related or not, just think about how you value yourself. Right. And uh, that's a great, like almost like a job interview question. It's like, how do you see yourself and how do you value yourself? It's understanding. Absolutely. And it's taken a long time, you know, yeah. to get to the stage where you kind of get it and you understand it. And that, again, you can't buy experience. And it's sure. Yeah. That's and great. it's the reason why you write a book. Yeah. Oh, you've, yeah, you've sorted it out. You don't know everything. Of course not. We never know that. But you've sorted it out in your own mind what you were and what you weren't, and why you were that, and why you weren't that, etc. And you've got to get that down. The moment that applies, get it down. Tell, tell the people how it is. Fantastic. That's, because that is actually what they deserve. No, I agree. And um, as I said, if you haven't got a, uh, a copy of Steve's book yet, uh, or after this, after we finish our chat, I'll add some links uh, into where you can pick up a copy of uh, Steve's book uh, in Canada and online. And again, if you're coming to the uh, event in Vancouver, you'll get a copy, uh, which is fantastic. I know a few of my friends have already bought one because they can't wait. So they're going to end up with two. So yeah, it's, uh, it's a few more pennies in your pocket, Mr. Perryman. No, no, but don't, 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 don't give it twice. Just... <laughs> No, they don't deserve to do that. But anyway, <laughs> you work so, it out. So, uh, again, just a thank you for joining us. This is a, a fledgling podcast. This is, I think, episode nine of our first season. So, Steve, uh, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, it's been a pleasure for me. Uh, again, I could listen to you all night as well. And we look forward to seeing you in Canada, in Vancouver, uh, hopefully when it's announced formally for 2021. And uh, come on, you Spurs. Brilliant. I've really enjoyed it. That was a podcast by True North Production. Well, wasn't that fantastic? Uh, Steve's a fantastic guy, and uh, if you're lucky enough to be in Vancouver, it looks like April of next year, 2021, uh, then make sure you get a ticket. You can get those tickets on the front page of the Vancouver Spurs website, vancouverspurs.ca. I've seen it myself because I put it there. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I've seen Steve live at an event 
a couple of years ago and uh, absolutely spectacular. So make sure you do that. And also, uh, for those of you who can't get to Vancouver and would like to get a copy of um, Steve's book, the uh, the fantastic book is, um, uh, is called A Spur Forever. And um, you can get it on all reputable bookstores. I've seen it on uh, you know, Amazon and Indigo Chapters, uh, available in Canada, and uh, it's got some great reviews. I know a number of people have read it already. I'm holding off until I, I get the point. And also, if you want to listen to Steve, he has his own podcast as well. I think he's about 15 or 16 episodes in. Again, uh, stories like we've talked about today and many, many more. Uh, the guy's encyclopedic in regards to his history at the club. And uh, I know many people who've uh, heard Steve speak on several occasions and it's never the same twice. It's never the same old stories. It's just fantastic that the, the wealth of knowledge that he has and the amount that he carries with him. So we look forward to that. And uh, a last little clip uh, right at the end, a little message from Steve for all you guys in Canada. Come and you Spurs. Hi there, this is Steve Perriman. I just want to say hello to all the Spurs fans out there in Canada. Come on, you Spurs.